Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now let's join the service already in progress. First Samuel chapter 1 is where I'd love for you to turn. It is so good to be back at this great church. I love this place. It's been a few years since I've been, been here, but um, I just love the story of this place, love what God continues to do here. Every time I come, I always leave better inspired. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Rich. I, I pastor a church down in Miami called Vu Church. And um, people are always like, what does is, what is that name Vu mean? That's not a church name. And uh, we originally, we started with the name Rendezvous, and what happened is Rendezvous just means meeting place, and what we found out is that nobody knows how to spell the word Rendezvous. <laughs> There's a silent Z in there. It's a very difficult word, Rendezvous, and then if you ever do Google it, uh, don't Google it because really bad websites come up, and so <laughs> we just said this isn't going to work, and so we just go by Vu now. <laughs> Uh, but God has uh, been doing an incredible thing. We, we started the church three years ago, uh, planting out of my father's church in North Miami. We're now in the heart of Miami. We have two locations. And would you believe this? After three years of being an official church, we've seen 7,000 people give their life to Jesus. And so I just think, I think God's up to something. I think God is moving. I think God is doing incredible things. And when you see a church like this full on a Wednesday night, uh, you don't have to look very far to understand that God's, God's moving. The best is yet to come for the church. And, uh, my wife, she sends her greetings. Her name is Dawn Cherie. Uh, we just hit 12 years of marriage. Holler at your boy. <laughs> And um, she's back home today. Uh, many of you, you, you've kind of followed our journey. I want to thank so many of you who've gotten messages from people, particularly from this church throughout the years, who've been praying for us because some of you would have known that we went on a journey, my wife and I, uh, eight years of infertility, eight years of praying and hoping and believing that God would give us a child. And after talking to doctor after doctor, uh, many people said it wasn't ever going to happen. Uh, but I'm thankful for a God who still takes the impossible and turns it into the possible. Come on, after eight years of trying, this past January, we gave birth to our firstborn son. <laughs> can I, can I show, do you have a photo? Can I show you a photo of my son? I, I think we've got a photo somewhere. Hopefully they can bring it up. I want, I want, oh, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Look at, have you ever seen a boy so cute in your entire life? Be honest, no. All right, his name is Wyatt Wesley Wilkerson. That's a strong name right there. He's either going to be a preacher or a bank robber. We, we don't know. Uh, but Wyatt Wesley, that, WWW, that's his initials. World Wide Web, that's what we call him right there. And uh, Wyatt means brave, and we thought that was a fitting name for him that took him so long to get here. We figured that uh, he was already brave coming into this world. He's going to be brave as he continues to lead in this world. Uh, he's eight months this past week, and uh, I just love him. <laughs> it's funny because, like, I, I love being a dad. There's so many parts about being a dad that like, I'm obsessed with. Uh, my favorite thing was day one in the hospital. The nurse came by and said, Mr. Wilkerson, it's very important that you spend time with your son, Wyatt, in what we call skin to skin. I said, ma'am, I've never heard of this. What does this mean? She said, his shirt comes off, your shirt comes off, and he lays on your chest. 
I go, why? She said, this is for his nurturing and for his development. Well, I've kind of taken this a little bit too far. <laughs> we now factor in 15 minutes of skin to skin every day. <laughs> this poor kid's going to be 14 years of age. I'm like, take your shirt off, skin to skin, let's go. <laughs> He's like, no. He's 18. Dad, I'm 18. Shut up. Take your shirt off. Let's go. I want to develop you. I want to develop you, son. Get over here. And so I, I love him. And he says hello. And um, he's amazing. Um, do you have your Bibles tonight? First, first Samuel chapter, chapter 1. Let me see all the Bibles because this is a very spiritual church. Let me see all the Bibles. Okay. Wow. A lot, lot, of, lot of iPhones. Okay. Praise God. Um, millennials. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, first Samuel chapter 1. I am traveling with a whole bunch of Fellas from our church, so grateful for these guys. Um, why don't you guys just stand up real quick? Just greet everybody. Will you guys just stand up? Can you all make some noise for these guys? All right, Nick, sit down. The rest of them, is Nick, Nick can sit down. Nick's married. This is Justin, Vlad, DJ, and Richie. DJ's got a girlfriend, but he's not married. I mean, come on. Uh, Richie's totally single, very, really wants to mingle. He's, he's going into ministry. Vlad is, um, he's just always looking good. And Justin turns 22 tomorrow, loves Jesus, definitely going into ministry. If any girls or we'll take applications after the service. God bless you. Okay. <laughs> Sit down, guys. Praise God. This is a weird church. I'm never coming back. Okay. God bless. All right. Um, I felt led tonight, if that's okay. Just, I love God bless you. Okay. Um, <laughs> I thought that was Wyatt for a moment. Anyways, all right. Um, I, I felt led tonight, if I could, to talk on the topic of prayer. I think that um, with this being revival nights, uh, Jesus himself said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. So I, I've always really believed that revival, the recipe to revival, is work and prayer. <laughs> that if we'll work and if we'll pray, God will send a revival. And I, I wanted tonight look at a story that if, you're, if, you're, if you've been part of church for a while, you've probably heard before. And if you're new to church, that's okay. I'm going I'm to tell you the story after I even read it. But it's a story of a woman by the name of Hannah in the Bible. And if you will indulge me tonight, I want to actually read all 20 verses. After I finish reading this, I'll, I'll close the Bible, and then I'm going to make some observations. And I'm going to preach it like I feel it. And tonight, I give you full permission to tap into the inner Pentecostal, wherever he or she is. Some of you are like, thank God, I've been wanting to pull out my church fan for years. This is your night, okay? <laughs> this is your night. If you've got a fan, pull it out. This is your moment. You've got a hanky. Amen. That's good. Preach it, white boy. I don't care. <laughs> but tonight, you get to verbally engage, and I think the Lord is going to speak to us. First Samuel chapter 1, let's read some of these script verses and get this into our spirit. The, the Bible says this, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, There was a man from Ramathium, a Zophite. From the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Eluhu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. Now, once again, if you're new to church, this is Elvish from Lord of the Rings, okay? <laughs> These are some names, okay. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, someone say year after year. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. 
Because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Someone say year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying. Someone say, keep on praying. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, someone say in the course of time, (laughs) Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Come on, if that's good news to somebody, somebody said amen. I want to um, preach tonight from the subject matter, uh, the, the, the Hannah hotline. Someone's like, what does that mean? Nobody knows what it means. But it's provocative and it gets the people going. <laughs> I believe tonight God wants to speak to you right where you are. And I believe this is a word for so many in this room. So would you pray with me tonight? Let's believe the Holy Spirit's going to do what I can't do. Lord, we thank you so much that you brought us here. God, we thank you that you are at work here at this incredible church. And Lord, tonight on this night that we have titled Revival Night, Lord, I pray that you would bring revival. Lord, we know that a revival begins in us. So Lord, my prayer is that we would walk out of here tonight declaring, I am a revival. Let it begin tonight, Jesus. We praise you. We glorify you. I pray that as we walk out of this place, we would see you clearer. We would know you deeper, Lord, and we would look more like you. We honor you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' mighty and holy name, all of God's people said? Come on, all of God's people said? Come on, if you love Jesus, somebody make a little bit of noise on a Wednesday night. All right, um, I just, I'm just curious. Anybody out there, you're like me, and you enjoy making a music playlist. Where are all the people at? Just, anyone got a little inner DJ in you? Anyone just honest? Um, it's actually funny because I recently just purchased uh, turntables, DJ turntables. True story, true story. I haven't used them yet. I have not used them yet, but I have already got myself a DJ name. DJ Relentless. I got to learn, but I got a name. That's, that's the starting point. As far back as I can remember, I've always just, I don't know, I've always loved like putting music together and putting playlists together. Anyone remember back in the day like burning CDs? 
I don't want, I don't want to lose all the crowd tonight, but I know Generation Z, you don't know about this. But um, remember anyone? Okay, anyone remember, remember Napster? Remember Napster? Remember you thought you were going to jail for a moment? <laughs> you don't remember LimeWire? LimeWire? There's still some warrants out for some of you guys on that. Now, once again, at, at, the, at the risk of losing a whole lot of people, because I know we got some young people in the room tonight, but can anyone remember, like, like back in the day, uh, before Napster, uh, before Burn CDs, before, before Apple Music or Spotify, remember back in the day that in order to record your song, in order to get the song that you wanted, it required some patience? It required some endurance? It required a, a level of fortitude that you'd have to wait all day long staring at your radio. Oh, let me, I'm going to preach to someone. Remember, you'd be waiting there all day long for your song to come on, and you would just have to sit there and linger in it. And finally, the DJ would say your song, and you would start to celebrate. As you got out both your fingers, you hit bound the play and the record. You said, oh, I got it. I got it. This generation doesn't know about our pain. Remember, every once in a while, you'd be waiting all day. You'd finally go to the bathroom only to come back, and like verse two was on. You're like, dang it! <laughs> all your playlists were missing the first verse. <laughs> when I was younger, there was a, a, a radio station. I grew up in Tacoma, Washington, outside of Seattle, and it was called Cube 93. Um, Cube 93 was an R&B radio station. A lot of people don't know, but I love R&B music. Yeah, you don't, you, don't, you don't know me. Don't judge a book by its cover. You don't know my story. You do not know me. R&B is like, that, that was, that's my music. You know, that's, that's how I grew up. And um, Tony, Tony, Tony. Um, Tony Rich Project. Uh, Jodeci. We got some sinners in this church. Casey and Jojo. I will never find another lover was sweeter than you, was sweeter than you. And I will Remember that one? That's like, like close to me, like my mother, close to me, like my father, close to me, like my brother, close to me, like my. I don't want my girl to be close to me like my brother. You know, like, who's writing these lyrics? Boys to men. Thank you, Jesus. It's so natural. <laughs> Look at people, people worshiping right now. Why don't we do that in church? Because it's not to Jesus. I, I loved, I loved R&B growing up. And I remember growing up as a kid, I would, on Saturdays in junior high school, I'd go to my friend Joey Stageberg's house. And all day long, we would sit and listen to the radio. We would sit on his waterbed and... Um, I'm just losing people tonight, left and right. There's some 14-year-old. It's like, what are they talking about? You missed it. Google it. It's really great. Um, and Cube 93 had this hotline number that we would call up. And when you'd call up, you would, you'd get the DJ on the line, and you would request your favorite song, and he would play it. 
And so like every Saturday for an entire year, Joey and I would sit there at his house and we'd dial the hotline number and we'd call up. But every time we called, the operator would pick up and you always had to be ready because if they put you on air with the DJ, they would always ask you this question, what's the phrase that pays? And then you had to be ready Cube 93 plays today's hit music. And so I would always write it down. I was very prepared. I was very, very ready. And I would always get on the phone with the operator. The operator would say, what's the phrase that pays? I'd say, you know, Cube 93 plays today's hit music. They said, okay, just a moment. The DJ's going to put you on air, and you can request your song. I'd be like, yes, let's go. And then what would happen every Saturday after Saturday for a year is the operator would put the waiting line music on, and nobody ever picked up the line. We just sat there waiting and hoping that the DJ would pick it up. I was thinking uh, earlier this week on this subject of prayer. And I've been thinking a lot about prayer. Our church just got done recently with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so we've been talking about it as a church. And I think lots of times when it comes to prayer, people have these questions about what, what is prayer and how does prayer work and how does it fit into my life and why do I need it? I think big picture wise, what you need to understand about prayer is prayer is an invitation for God to take over your situation. It, it just, that, that's what prayer is. Prayer should never be a believer's last resort. It should always be your first response. And what we must realize as a church is that God wants us to pick up the phone. In fact, you and I, we have a hotline to heaven. It's called prayer. And the good news about your God is this, is that he promises you if you pick up the line, not only will he answer it, but he promises to respond. Come on, is there anybody thankful tonight for a God who actually responds when you call on his name? Prayer, it's an invitation for God to take over your situation. I want us to get this in our spirit tonight because when Jesus taught on this subject, he said this. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Yeah. It's interesting because he didn't say my house shall be called a house of praise, should be a house of preaching, should be a house of gathering. He said, my house will be a house of prayer. Yeah. I think this is important because what we know about church life is that most people who would say that they go to church and they would say that they're a part of a church, research shows us that most people who consider themselves going to church, what that actually means is that they go to church once a month. And what happens to a lot of people is a lot of people, they come and they occasionally praise God and they walk out of the door and they go, I guess I'm leaving God's presence. But you need to know tonight that you have a weapon called prayer that wherever you go, no matter where it is, at any moment, you can call upon God and his presence will meet you where you are. You might be going into a job tomorrow that you don't like. The good news is you can call upon God and right there at that job, he will meet you in that place. You might be getting a doctor's report later this week, but all you got to do is call on the hotline towards heaven and God will meet you where you are. You have a weapon and it's called prayer. Come on, somebody. Give God a shout of praise tonight. Listen to me tonight. Occasional praise is no match for consistent prayer. If we can get this in our spirit, I'm telling you, God is going to begin to work in your life like never before. But maybe you're tonight, 
I got a feeling there's some of us like this, that you're sitting here tonight and you're going, but you know what, Rich? I got to be honest with you. I, I love shouting and I love getting up and I love the lines and I, and I believe this stuff. But if I'm being honest with you, my experience with prayer kind of reminds me of you being a teenage boy calling up the radio station and you're just there with a busy line. I feel like I've called on God, but I just feel like I'm in this place of waiting. And you say he responds, but I haven't heard nothing back. And all I hear is waiting music. You say I've got a hotline, but man, I'm just telling you, all I hear is the busy line. Now, I want us to take a few moments tonight, and I want us to observe this story of this woman named Hannah. Because Hannah had a dilemma on her hands. And if you live long enough, you're going to have some dilemmas come your way. Yet what I love about Hannah is that this dilemma that she has, she brings it to God. And there's something tonight about us learning to bring our stuff to God, that as we do so, he's faithful, not always in the timeline like Pastor Jeff was saying, to answer us in the way that we want, but rather in the way that he requires for his story to be written. And what I believe is this, if God was faithful to Hannah, I believe he will be faithful to us. Come on, if you believe it tonight, can somebody just agree? Come on, let's just agree. Hannah's an interesting person, just to kind of put some context about what we read tonight. Um, Hannah is married to a man by the name of Elkanah. Now, Elkanah, if you can imagine this, has two wives. There's some young dude who's like, bro, why can't we go back to Bible times, man? Let me get two wives. That's being said by somebody who's not married. You can't handle more than one, trust me, okay? Elkanah's got two wives. One wife is Hannah. The other, the other wife, her name is Penina. <laughs> Hannah has no children. Penina has many children. And for Hannah, this is a dilemma. Some of you tonight, you're going, oh, bro, that's not really a dilemma. I've got bigger problems. But uh, maybe... For you and your experience right now, that wouldn't be much of a challenge. But for Hannah, it was. It was a desire of her heart, but not just that. What we understand culturally speaking is that thousands of years ago in Middle Eastern culture, a woman, for her to have kids, that was her contribution in many cases to society. That was the thing that was going to bring fulfillment, and that was the thing that was going to actually bring about legacy in her life. For women not to be, have, to be able to have children, what it really typically meant was that you were overlooked by society, and in many cases, you were discarded by your husband. And what's interesting is that Hannah, she cannot have any children. But what we discover about the scripture is that Elkanah has favor towards Hannah. He loves Hannah. In fact, the scripture tells us that whenever Elkanah would go to the temple, he would go there under the old covenant. If you don't understand, you had to offer sacrifices. This is one of the reasons why you should read Pastor Jeff's book, because always only Jesus is really good news, because thank God we don't have to come here and kill stuff anymore, but rather Jesus Christ under the new covenant, he died once and for all, and now we can get to God because of his blood. It's just really good news all around. But back then, that was not the case. Back then, you had to go kill stuff. And so Elkanah would take a portion of his sacrifice and he would give a portion to, to Penina and her children. But then the scripture says something very, very interesting. He would give a double portion to Hannah. That's interesting because society and culture would say that Hannah does not deserve a double portion. Yet even though she didn't deserve it, Elkanah had favor on her. 
Is anyone at all catching what I'm trying to throw down here? Elkanah's faithfulness towards Hannah was not based on her fruitfulness for him. You see, the whole Bible over and over again is trying to give you a glimpse of the gospel and a glimpse of grace. Hannah did not deserve the double portion, but Elkanah showed her favor anyways. Reminds me of the God that we serve. Is there anybody in this room tonight that could actually be honest and say that God has favored you despite your weaknesses, despite your setbacks? Anybody thankful for a God who looks past your deficiencies, has looked past your challenges, has looked past your difficulties? Anybody thankful for a God who says, I favor you even when you're not fruitful for me? This is our God. He does not give us what we deserve. He gives us what he desires. What's amazing about the name Hannah, Hannah translated, her name means grace and mercy. You know what it tells me? It tells me that favor is a fact. It's not a feeling. See, you could go up to Hannah, you could say, Hannah, are you favored? And she would say, no, I am not favored. My womb is closed. I cannot have any kids. I have nothing to be happy about. Yet all the while, while she was saying that, what she would fail to mention is that my name, Hannah, it actually means grace. And grace, by definition, is the unmerited favor of God. And therefore, although I don't feel like I am favored, I can't help it, but I am favored. I want somebody in this house to know tonight that you might not feel favored, but if you are in Christ Jesus, baby favor is a fact for you deserve curses but he gave you blessing you deserve death but he gave you life you deserve to die but he declared you shall live oh come on somebody give God a shout of praise if you know that you're favored tonight favor is a fact in my life I don't have to wonder if I'm favored. I don't have to decide, oh, I feel favored. I know I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm promised heaven. I've got an eternity in front of me. You can take my life now, but death right now in this moment, I'm telling you, the next life, I'm with Jesus. F favor's a fact. Come on, somebody, give God a shout of praise. Your name, your name is shouting to the world, you are favored. You can't help it. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm not living for happy ever after. I'm living for heaven ever after. In Jesus, favor is a fact. Hannah, she's got this double blessing from Elkanah, but what you always learn is that wherever there's a blessing, there's, al there's always a burden. For, for in many ways, she's got a double blessing, but she's also got this double burden. For it's not the fact that she just can't have kids. She has a second problem on her hands, and that is there's this, there's this sister wife. Hello. <laughs> Penina. And the scripture says that Penina provokes Hannah year after year. Someone say year after year just provokes her and ridicules her and mocks her and tries to irritate her and has taken Hannah to a point of bitterness and grief and heartache. You know what I've learned? I've learned that every problem in my life will also be attached to the voice of Penina. And it's important that you understand in life that when you're going through something, there will be different voices that pop up and you have to decide which voice you will listen to. 
Have you ever seen this happen in your life? Because it's, it's one thing, it's one thing to be down. It's another thing when people won't let you get back up. It's one thing to fail. It's another thing when people keep declaring you are a failure. You see, this is why actually I go to church. I don't go to church because of all the lights. I don't go to church just because of all the cool stuff it has to offer. I actually go to church because I want to make sure I align myself with the right voices. That when I'm down, I got some people that will say, Rich, you can get back up. When I start to walk in fear, I get some people that say, Rich, I want you to take on some courage. I got to get around the right people. Why? Because the voices you listen to will dictate the future you experience. I just know for my wife and I, whenever this story of Hannah, I just preached it a couple weeks ago to our church. It's just, it rings so loud and clear to, to my life and to my wife's life because this is the story that we went on. For eight years, we went on this journey of infertility. And as we did so, I got to be honest with you, there was always the voice of Penina not too far away. The critic, the doubter, the naysayer. And what we had to learn how to do was turn down that voice, and we had to turn up the right voice, the voice of hope, the voice of faith, the voice of love, the voice of positivity. Come on, anybody believe tonight that there's a God who's declaring he can continue to fulfill what he's promised? Tonight, maybe you are in a challenging situation. Maybe you've walked into this place with a real dilemma on your hands. Why don't you pick up the Hannah hotline? And why don't you call upon your God? And why don't you watch him work a miracle in your life? Tonight, as I, as I study Hannah's prayer towards God, there's, there's three things that I see. I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. I want you to write these down. But you're going to discover that there's this inward component. There is then this outward component. And then lastly, tonight, as we finish, there is this upward component. I want to make three basic observations that I see about her prayer, that if tonight you're finding challenges in your prayer life, maybe you can pick up the Hannah hotline and you can begin to apply that which she did and see if you begin to see fruit in your life. The first thing that I see about Hannah's prayer towards God is, number one, she prayed from her heart. Everyone say, she, she prayed, prayed from her heart. Well, what's interesting about this story of Hannah and it's a great study for all of us, is that Hannah, she began to take this problem in life, and she began to look at life through the filter of this problem. And the scripture really lets us know that because she's looking through this filter, her entire outlook began to be skewed. And outlook is such an important thing because your outlook determines your outcome. <laughs> and what happened to her is that she's got this problem. She can't have kids. She has a second problem. She has this woman who's provoking her. But then after that, she's got a lot of good things happening in life. The scripture says that Elkanah one day, her husband came to her and said, Yo, Hannah, what up, girl? He didn't say it like that, but that's how I see it. He's like, am I not good enough for you? What, do you need ten sons before you're happy? You see, what happens to us is that in life, when we face disappointment, if we don't attack disappointment, disappointment turns to despair. And despair will ultimately give way to bitterness in our life. And when you're living in bitterness, what happens is, is that you start to see everything through a bitter lens. And so although there might be good things happen in your life, you fail to see them, not because they're not there, but rather because you're looking through the filter of bitterness. Why? Because we don't see things the way that they are. We see things the way that 
we are. I'm, try, I'm trying to help someone's Thursday. Like, like for instance, imagine I gave you um, a pair of blue lens glasses. Okay, you put the blue lens glasses on, and then all of a sudden a, um, a yellow school bus drove by. And you're looking through the blue lens. What, what, what color would the school bus be? Green. What color? Green. Everyone's saying green. No, it would be yellow. <laughs> it would be yellow, but you would be convinced that it's green. And you would be saying, no, school buses are green. Because to your reality, that what you're perceiving would be correct, but everybody else outside of your little situation would say, no, you're looking through the wrong filter. So some of you tonight, you have a broken lens. And so you're looking through a broken lens, and you are convinced your life is broken. But what if you don't need a new life? What if you just need a new lens? Come on, I feel, like I, I feel like I'm preaching to somebody on a Wednesday night. Come on. This is what prayer does for us. When I come to God with honesty and praying from my heart, he starts to shift my lens. When I get into a faith gathering like this, I start putting on a different lens. I start putting on a lens of peace. I start putting on a lens of courage. I start putting on a lens of confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The scripture says in verse 13, the best thing that Hannah does with this bitterness is that for some reason this year, she brings this bitterness to God. And that's what you do with your bitterness. You, you actually bring it to God. You don't hide it from God. You bring it to God. That which you heal, hide cannot be healed. You'll always be as sick as your secrets. The scripture says, verse 13, go back and say it, that Hannah, she began to pray, and her lips were moving, but no words were coming out, for she was praying from her heart. Oh, I love this concept. Because this is the prayer that God loves. God loves when you begin to pray from the reality of what you're going through. He doesn't want your projected self to pray. He wants your actual self to pray. I did an interview with a secular media site not too long ago, and they asked me this question. They said, Pastor Wilkerson, have you ever doubted Jesus before? I was like, yeah, every week. And they said, oh, my God, really? You're a pastor. And it, it made me amazed to think that how did we get this narrative going in the church that just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean that you, ever, you don't ever doubt Jesus. Friend, it's okay to doubt Jesus. The only thing that's not okay is that when you doubt Jesus and you don't tell Jesus, you're doubting Jesus. She brings the reality of her situation to her God. God, I'm upset. God, I'm bitter. God, I'm scared. God, I'm anxious. God, I'm having a hard time believing you right now. There's something about you praying from your heart that gets the attention of heaven. I'm not just going to pray prayers that impress people. I'm going to pray a prayer that's coming from the reality of what I'm going through. I'm not happy. I'm scared. I'm afraid. But I'm going to bring it to the one who promises he can bring me through. 
I'm going to bring you my doubts. I'm going to bring you my challenges. I'm going to bring you my weaknesses. I'm not hiding this stuff. This is where I'm at. This is really where I'm at. Notice, she doesn't bring it to Elkanah. She doesn't bring it to her, to Penina. She brings it to the one who can solve it. The problem for a lot of believers today is what we do is instead of pray about it, we just complain about it. There's that, there's that powerful scripture that says, pray without ceasing. People are always like, that's so hard. <laughs> oh, no, that's impossible. No one could ever do that. It's funny because most of us don't have a hard time complaining without ceasing. What, what if you spent the same time you do complaining, praying? Now, I know this is a very spiritual crowd. Anyone who goes to church on a Wednesday night is automatically going to heaven, so it's challenging. But, but like, I still have a cha- I, I'm still... I'm still dealing with complaint. Like it still hits me. I'm still working through it. I'm still being sanctified. Two weeks ago, uh, my wife and I, my wife Don Shree is amazing. And to be honest with you, Don Shree, like in our home, she is the builder, the developer, the contractor, like literally hammer, nails. I know it, you wouldn't believe it, like tool belt. She's incredible. Me, um, I'm more of like an interior decorator, honestly. That's, that's more my gift mix. And We moved into this house not too long ago, and I was designing stuff, you know, and I got this really incredible, expensive, like, shag rug. It's this big, huge 10 by 12. It's shag, and I did like, this layer effect with this red oriental rug. kind of came off diagonal. It's really beautiful. You'll come over. You'll see it. It's awesome. And um, the problem with this shag rug is that, according to Don Cherie, uh, it's been acquiring dirt. It wasn't a big deal before, but now we got this infant son named Wyatt, and he's crawling over and everything. And so Don Shree came about a week ago, and she said, uh, Rich, uh, this rug has to go, and I'm sick of it. we got to move it. It's dirty. It's not going to work for Wyatt. I said, um, you know, the Lord hasn't revealed that to me yet. Um, he's blessed over there. I like that. Look at that. It's marriage counseling for him. He's sitting, he's sitting by himself, praise God. Anyways, um, <laughs> Don, she's like, fine, I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll take care of it. I'm, I'm going to handle it anyway. So she goes, unbeknownst to me, online, buys new rugs, r- extra rugs, rugs for Wyatt's room, rugs for all, the, and rugs for the living room. And so two days later, you know, Amazon Prime, this stuff shows up at her house. She said, Rich, I need you, I need you to help put this stuff down. I said, uh, uh, I think this is your calling, okay? I think... <laughs> think this is you so she starts she's like fine I don't need you and so she starts putting stuff down in Wyatt's room and finally she comes to the end of the project which is the living room and the only problem with the living room is that she needs my help to move the couch she said Rich let's go come on we're gonna move this thing right now I need your help to move the couch I said (laughs) you see I just don't think I agree with this plan that was Wednesday Don't judge me. You have marriage problems too, okay? Look at you guys. I can't believe he's a pastor. He's a fake pastor for sure. Yeah, shut up. All right, you're fine. <laughs> for two days, no work was done. We were at a, a stalemate is what they call it. And to be honest with you, you know what I began to do? I just began to complain. Yeah, yeah, the rug, huh? You know everything, huh? 
You say, Rich, how do you know you were complaining? Well, I know I'm complaining the same way that you know when you're complaining. You, you know you're complaining when all you're doing is talking about your problems with no intention to solve your problems. Just talking about stuff with no new plan, no new strategy, no new action step, just talking about it, just letting it out there. By the way, I obeyed my wife, heard from the Lord, we put down her carpet. I love my wife so much, we've never been happier ever before. It's the best marriage ever. We're good, we're good. Some of you are like, what happened, you know? We're in counseling. Oh, no, I'm kidding, we're fine. <laughs> what would happen if we would spend the same amount of time we do complaining as we do if we started praying that amount of time? I love Hannah. She's bitter. She's upset. She's got a real dilemma, but she doesn't keep it to herself. Instead, she brings her dilemma, and she brings her bitterness, and she prays from her heart. Your God, he wants to hear the prayers from your heart. What's going on on the inside? Come on, if you believe it, somebody give God a shout of praise in this place. <clears throat> the worship team can start to make their way up here. The second thing that we see that she does is, secondly, let me write this down. She did not pray to impress people. She did not pray to impress people. How do we know this? We know this because apparently as she was praying, she was causing such a scene that the priest in the temple, Eli, he actually thought she was drunk. He's like, what? In this woman's drunk. The Bible says she's praying, and she must have been moving in such a way that her lips were moving, but no words were coming out. And so Eli came over, and he scolded her and said, how dare you come into God's house intoxicated? It's funny when you cross-reference 1 Samuel chapter 1 with Acts chapter 2 and 3. Because in Acts chapter 2 and 3, we see the brand new believers. Jesus has just ascended to heaven. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for me to send the Holy Spirit. He's a comforter. He's a counselor. He's a convictor. And as you begin to pray, I will send him. And when he comes, you will receive power. Most scholars believe that these 120 disciples, they got up into a room. It was called the upper room. And there they begin to pray. Most scholars would say they prayed for 10 days. They didn't know what they were praying for. But finally on the 10th day, a mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire, the Spirit of God came through that place they started praying in other tongues and would you believe it everybody who was watching the scene guess what they said they said those people are drunk Peter had to come out like no they're not drunk it's 10 in the morning which would not be a valid excuse in South Florida today but you say Rich what's the point the, the point is, is there's something about God's presence showing up that when God's presence shows up, apparently people stop caring what other people around them think. How they look. See, that's why we got to be real careful judging people's worship as city of life. You don't know what people have gone through. You don't know the price people paid to get here on a Wednesday night. You don't know the valleys they've walked through. You don't know the pain that they've stomached. You don't know the challenges they've had. Sometimes when you've been through some stuff, you just start saying to yourself, I don't really care. I got to worship God in the way that I feel it. And I'm sorry if I got to lift my voice. And I'm sorry if I got to dance on my feet. I'm sorry if I got to lift my hands. If I look silly, if I look ridiculous, so be it. I got to testify about the God who set me free.
See, you might not like the scene someone's causing, but that's because you haven't experienced the story they are living. They've been through some stuff. And there's something about God that He loves it when we get desperate for Him. I'm just, I'm desperate for God. See, I'm not praying to impress God. I'm not praying to impress you. I'm not worshiping or preaching to impress you. I'm doing these things because I've been so impressed by Him. Here's Hannah. She's praying and she's desperate. I'm tired of carrying this year after year. I'm tired of bringing this year after year. I'm desperate. I don't care what you think. I'm sorry, Mr. Priest. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I'm not trying to cause a scene. But you don't understand. Something's changed on the inside of me. I, I'm desperate for God. I remember September 11, 2001, I, I was in an airplane. And by the grace of God, we were able to land in Chicago. And I remember it was one of the scariest days of my life as a 17-year-old boy walking through the airport. And I remember finally getting back to church that following Sunday. Maybe some of you were following Jesus back then, but it was quite the scene in the Church of America on that Sunday. There was this somber. Churches were full of people. They were gathering because there's something about the valley and there's something about the trial and there's something about the heartache and there's something about the pain that drives us to our knees. And I don't know how to explain it to you by other than by saying there's something about our God. He just loves it when we're on our knees. He loves it when we're desperate for Him. This whole thing, church, man, this is not a program. This is not you come and consume. This is about life and death. And there are people in this room tonight that have walked in this place that are carrying heartache, that are carrying oppression, that have walked in here so depressed. And as they walk in, the last thing that they need is to feel beat down, to feel judged, to feel overlooked. They ought to come to this place. And for one moment on a Wednesday night, that pressure should be alleviated. They should have some brothers and sisters and say, I'll walk with you. I'm desperate with you. I don't know what you came in here with tonight. I don't know how heavy your heart is. But I know this, it's always too soon to quit. God is not done with you yet. You have come far too far to simply stop now. If you don't quit, you win. Stay the course. Something about our God, He loves it when we get desperate. And here's Hannah. She's desperate for Him. She's desperate. prayed from her heart and this hotline that she had towards heaven it was not about impressing people but lastly I want you to write this down this is the revelation tonight as we close I'm already over my clock I apologize but this is going to set some people free tonight this third thing I want you to write this down if you get anything tonight get this she attached her prayer request to God's glory I feel the Holy Spirit Watch, there's this, there's, this, there's this inward part, there's this outward part, and then there's this upward part. There's this inward part. It starts in our heart. This is the real stuff. This, I'm not playing church. I'm bitter. I'm anxious. I'm having a hard time being faithful. I know how to say all the church stuff, but here's where I'm at, God. I'm not getting lost in people around me. I'm not getting lost impressing people. I'm not getting lost in the outside stuff. And then I'm going gonna, 
I'm moving this prayer upward. It's funny because I've grown up in church. I'm fourth generation Pentecostal preacher. And for many years, I used to feel like it was almost like people would come in with real needs. And sometimes as pastors, like, well, you know, just, just pray about it. And for a while, I used to feel like that was very cliche or disingenuous. Yet the older I get and the more I lead people, the more I discover that this is not cliche and it's not disingenuous. You want to know why? Because if you'll actually take the advice and walk out of this room and just pray about it, one of two things will happen. The first, God, He might answer your prayer request. He might just take the impossible, turn it into the possible. But if He doesn't do that, you know what He will always do? He will start to reprioritize your prayer. And He will show you the thing that you should be praying about. He'll show you what it is that you should be asking about. Someone say year after year. Scripture says year after year she was barren. Scripture says year after year Penina would provoke her. Someone say year after year. And something happened in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I can't prove it because we don't know all of it. Something about this prayer, I believe, changed. That's why it's written down. For on this day, as she was at the temple, she came before God, and I believe she prayed a different prayer. This time when she came before God, she said, God, would you give me a son? And God, if you give me a son, I'm going to give him back to you. God, I don't want you to give me a son so I can be happier. God, I don't want you to give me a son so I can prove all the haters wrong. But rather, Lord, you grant me this prayer, and I'm going to give this boy back to you, that he would go into the ministry, that he would make much out of your name. God, I'm attaching this request to your glory. He's yours. He'll be a vessel used for you. And I wish I could say this was an isolated moment in Scripture, but it's not. I can show you time after time when people redirected their prayer and they attach it to the glory of God. You see, you're not living life for your story. You're living life for God's glory. It's two totally different things. Solomon. People talk about Solomon's prayer. Why did God grant Solomon's prayer request? Well, that's because he prayed for something noble. He prayed for wisdom. Well, that's true. Ish. What did he actually pray? He said, God, give me wisdom that I might lead your people. You see, he attached his prayer request to God's heart. And God's heart is always people. And he said, God, help me lead with wisdom so I can be effective and efficient, that I might lead the Israelite people, that they would rise up and they would give glory to the one true God. He attached his request to the glory of God. What about John the Baptist? Greatest prophet to ever live out in the desert leading a revival, camel skin, eating locusts. It always excites me because if God, if John could lead a revival in a desert, what could a thousand people in Kissimmee, Florida with a building over their head, what could we do if we started getting desperate for God? Oh, I get excited. You don't have to be marketed by man. You've been marked by God. But what did John pray? He said, he must become greater. I must become less. What was he doing? He was attaching his life to the glory of God. And 
Hannah came to this point year after year. She'd been praying, but finally, year after year, she shifted her prayer. She said, God, you give me a son. I'm giving him back to you that he might lead your people, be used in your ministry, that you would get all the glory out of his life. And the scripture says that she went back to her husband, Elkanah, and sometime later she conceived and she gave birth to a boy named Samuel. Now you're saying, Rich, why is that so important? It's important because Samuel was one of the great prophets of Israel. He did many things. We could be here all night talking about the stories of Samuel, yet maybe his greatest assignment was one day he walked into the house of Jesse. Jesse had eight boys, and he walked into Jesse's house, and he said, I'm looking for the next king of Israel. It's one of your sons. So Jesse did what most of us does. He went and he grabbed all seven of his sons, and he brought the oldest one out, the best-looking one out. Seven boys went by, and Samuel said, nope, that's not any of them. He says, do you have any more sons? And Jesse's like, well, I got one more, but he's out in the pasture hanging out with some sheep. He said, bring him in. And when he brought David in, Samuel looked at David and said, that's the next king of Israel. say, Rich, why is it so important? Why does that matter? It matters because from the house of David, some 500 years later, born in a little stable, in a manger, a little baby was born. And when that baby was born, they said, you should name him Emmanuel, God with us. For this is Jesus, the God who never leaves you nor forsakes you, the God who always answers you, the God who always responds to you, the God who's faithful to you. Without David, we don't have Jesus. Oh, I just see it so clearly tonight. Without David, there's no Jesus. But the reason why we have David is because a prophet named Samuel, yet you wouldn't have Samuel if there wasn't a mom named Hannah who had a hotline to heaven who said, I will not give up on praying. I'm going to show up year after year. I'm going to bring my dilemma, and I'm going to believe at some point, my God, he will pick up the line, and not only will he answer me, but he will be faithful to do all that he has promised. I came to preach to someone tonight in Florida. You got the same hotline. You can pick it up tonight, and your God, he promises to answer you. He promises to satisfy you. He promises to fight for you. Come on, church. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text the dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.